can go ahead and get started. Thank you so much. Um, so just coming here, um, we're just uh, on a 11-week uh, furlough, as we call it, and that's just a time for us to come, you know, back off the field, just visit our friends, visit our family, and just and rest a little bit, but also like reconnect, especially with those who are linking arms with us and and partnering with us. And so, really, right off the bat, the first thing I want to do, if nothing else, I just want to come here and say thank you uh, to this uh, this spiritual family, to Daryl and Bethany, and just for their friendship. It's it's funny, like we first met. In the back in the early days of, of the call, the first call DC that Lou did, and we would just have these like random meetings together. And Dar do you guys has Daryl told like end of silence stories? <laughs> I was like, I was coming in, I was like, end of silence. I wish I had like a t-shirt or something, you know. But I'm like, man, back those are like the old days. It's just we're just a bunch of like 20 year olds dreaming, and how are we gonna change the world? And so it's just fun to see. I mean, like 15, 16 years later still loving the Lord, now married, each of us married with our own families and just uh, leading in different ways. But it's just such a blessing to have friends that um, have walked it out over the long haul. That's just, it's, it doesn't always happen. It, it's, it's a privilege. And so we're just we're so thankful for you guys, for your friendship and, and to this church as well. I mean, I showed up, we showed up here two years ago, like Bethany said, on our way out to the Middle East and just like, Who's going to support us? I don't know. Who's going to like pray for us? I don't know. So we're just going and telling people what we're doing. And, um, you know, a lot of, and I don't even know if a lot of, a lot of the people that were there two years ago are still here, but I mean, people blessed us. I mean, they were just encouraging us. They were said, we're going to pray for you. They, they, some people gave us money and it was just unbelievable the amount of uh, support and encouragement we felt from a church that we just that was like our first time visiting you know and we've only been here every two two years later so we're like the worst church you know members ever but you know but uh but we just really love this church my wife always says like man i just love that church i mean anyone she meets is like are you going to school in boston like you got to go to hilltop and you know so we we're just so thankful for this church and it's fun for me too because i actually went to college up in New England, up at Bowdoin in Maine, and, um, you know, we'd come to Boston and hang out. Those weren't the most sanctified of days for me, so, like, it wasn't all good, uh, but I have memories, you know, like, I actually rode, so, like, just looking here at the Charles River, I'm like, head of the Charles, you know, like, I came to that once. I didn't row in it, but I just came and hung out, you know, it was fun, um, but Boston actually, I mean, it just has mem many memories for me, and um, and I didn't realize at the time the wealth of spiritual history and heritage that is here, but it's just amazing to come back uh, so many years later um, and stand here and just be able to share with you guys. So, so it's just a privilege. Um, yeah, and and just so you know, like I know, like so many of you have uh, so much honor and esteem for us and the work we're doing. But I just want to say we have so much honor and esteem for what you guys are doing here and just uh, building a community here, contending in the place of prayer. Um, that's something that I really. Uh, had and still have such a, a heart for is just for the Lord to visit the college campuses of America unto revival and unto another wave of of missionaries going overseas. We we want to see that, and we we're sitting in uh, the cradle of where a lot of that happened years ago. And one of the things that we always say, but it's worth repeating, is if the Lord's done it before, He can do it again. And how much more will He pour out? Uh, in these last days. And so um, it's just, it's fun. I love it. I, lo I love the DNA that year because I was like talking to Daryl about the, I'm like, what are you guys doing? And I'm like, 
that's kind of what we're trying to do too. So I'm like taking notes. I'm like, I want to, I want to try that idea. And like, I'm just like, uh, it's just been so fun. Um, but that's that's really if I had to sum up the work that we're doing overseas, it's very much uh, similar to that. We wanna um, we wanna preach the gospel. We wanna see disciples made and churches planted, but all from the place of prayer. Um, and so uh, we're deeply rooted in prayer. We give half of our weekly hours. So I mean, all of our people that are on the field right now, we've got about I think about seventy something and another I don't know twenty about to head out this summer. Um, to 10 different locations all around uh, the 1040 window. And what all of our teams do, we're all full-time uh, raising support, um, but we're, we're giving half of our weekly hours in the prayer room, and so we're just crying out to the Lord, contending for breakthrough, obviously just ministering to the Lord as well, and just, uh, you know, because Jesus is worthy, right? I mean, that's the main reason. Even if we had no need of breakthrough, He's worthy of us just sitting at his feet and worshiping him and adoring him just simply because he's worthy. But that being said, we are in need of lots of breakthroughs. And so we get to do both. It's not one or the other. You know, we, we get to choose. We don't have to choose one or the other. Uh, we get to contend and partner with his heart for breakthrough. And that's what we're doing. You guys are doing it here. We're doing it on the other side of the world. But we're, we're all really ultimately asking for the same thing, that the name of Jesus would be glorified, that his spirit would be poured out, and that men and women would be saved. Um, that's basically what we want, you know? And so that's what we do. We give half of our weekly hours to that. And then the other half of our weekly hours we give to the work of uh, evangelism and church planning and and stuff like that. And, and obviously in the early years, we give a lot of heavy upfront investment into learning local languages. And so um, if you're curious what I've been doing for the last two years, that's basically it. I've been praying and learning the local language. That's for the most part. And then, of course, bits of uh, you know evangelism and sharing the gospel mixed in there, but uh, a, an upfront heavy investment. So my language is decent, if any of you... Yeah, but that's... Worship is easier because the songs are written down. You know what I mean? When you have to actually like make up sentences on your own that someone else didn't already write for you. Um, yeah, so it, it is cool, but don't give me too much credit for that. Yeah, it's funny because people people in our church will like hear me leading songs in the local language. They're like, oh my gosh, you're so good. And then they'll come and try to talk to me and they're like, oh, you're just okay. You're just so-so. But that's cool. It's okay. I'm on a journey and it's fine. I'm okay with that. So uh, yeah, so that's a lot of fun. Um uh, yeah, and I wanted to share, um, I had a, a few scriptures that I wanted to share with you in, a, in one sense just as an encouragement uh, to this local body, but also because it does kind of give a picture of what we do and what I think you guys are doing as well. Um, it's a real interesting story, and some of you may be familiar with it, um, but it's found in uh, Exodus 17 uh, from verses 8 through 13. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. But if not, no worries. I'll be, I'll be reading it for all of us. Uh, but Exodus 17, verse 8. Real interesting story. I mean, it's not soon after Moses has led the Israelites out of Egypt. And, you know, you guys probably know the story. I mean, he's, I mean, amazing signs and wonders on behalf of the children of Israel. I mean, uh, oh, parting the Red Sea, I mean, the, the ten plagues, I mean, just with a mighty hand, leading and delivering the children of Israel, uh, takes them into the wilderness, and they're on this journey. Uh, and it says, that, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. 
And so Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill. Hilltop. (laughs) There you go. With the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and her went to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it while Moses and, well, sorry, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Strange story, right? I mean, if you can kind of just picture it even, it's so funny. I mean, I mean, Joshua, I mean, I'm sure he's skilled in battle. He's leading the armies, and they're, and they're fighting the enemies of God. But literally, the one thing that makes the difference is that Moses is holding his hands up. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it literally says, if his hand went down, they started losing. You know, it's kind of like weird. It's like it's kind of like those those crazy sports fans who think like you know if they turn their cap inside out, like their team's gonna win, and if they don't, you know what I mean? Like I, it's funny because I was we were me and Brian and Grace were watching a Mets game recently. Sorry if I, if there's like Mets haters in the room, but uh, but like like Grace sits down on the couch next to Brian, and the Mets start losing, and we're like, Grace, move, go over there! And literally, as soon as she gets off, we were like we were like sending her to the other chair. Literally, as soon as she gets up off a chair, they hit like a game-winning home run. We're just and we're like going crazy. We're like ah, we're like crazy. Never sit in that chair again next to Brian. I mean, it's it's weird, right? This story kind of sounds like one of those things. It's like wait, just because his hand dropped two inches, they start losing the bat. I mean, what happens? Does Joshua suddenly lose his knowledge of? combat you know i mean does he suddenly lose his his fighting skills it's so strange right and to me i mean i don't know if this is like an exegetical stretch or something but i i think that the lifting of the hands the raising of the hands is a picture of prayer and worship uh psalm 63 4 it says i'll praise you as long as i live in your name i will lift up my hands uh, New Testament reference, 1 Timothy 2.8. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. And so it's not the only uh, picture, I think, in Scripture of prayer and worship, but I think it is a picture of, of surrender to the Lord, of dependence on the Lord. And it even says later in, in this verse in Exodus that uh, they said, we're going we're gonna to build an altar and call this place, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord, or, or another way to translate that is hands are lifted to the throne of the Lord. And so it's just a picture of dependence, of surrender, of worship, of prayer, of intercession to the Lord. And it's so f- strange, isn't it? I mean, why should that make the difference? Why should that be the thing that causes the tide of the battle to turn? And the only way I can explain it is that the Lord just, he just wants us to be dependent on him. He wants the credit for the victory. He doesn't want us to be able to say at the end of the day, oh, it's because Joshua was this brilliant military leader. Oh, it's because we had strength of numbers. That's not where the credit is supposed to go at the end of the day. Now, of course, we we do have gifts and talents and abilities that the Lord's given us. I mean, gosh, we're sitting right between Harvard and MIT. I mean, some of the greatest minds in the world are right here, and that's good. That's not a bad thing. You don't have to be ashamed of that. But at the end of the day, 
The Lord wants the glory. And he doesn't want us to say, we built Hilltop Church because of our brilliant strategy, right? I mean, I'm guessing that there wasn't a brilliant strategy. I'm guessing that the story of this church is the Lord. And that because the hands were lifted up to the Lord, that's why we won. Right? And that's what we want to be our story too with what we're doing on the field. We want our story to be uh, the same. And the truth, truth be told, we don't have brilliant strategies. Now, we've read the books. We've, you know, we've had the best instructors teaching us church planning strategies. But here's the thing, guys. I don't know that the Lord wants us to, to just cookie cutter something. Our strategy is we're going to pray. And we're going to pray until something breaks through. Basically, when we have our leaders meetings, this is like our strategy. It's like, one of you guys has got to get anointed. <laughs> that's, pretty much, that's pretty much what Brian tells us. He's like, guys, we're going to pray. And eventually, one of us is going to get anointed and, and something's going to happen. That's literally, and then we'll, 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 we'll create something. You know, we'll start gathering people or something. You know what I mean? Like, that's our strategy. We don't have another, but I don't know that it's actually meant to be another way. Right? And so hands are lifted to the Lord. That's, that's the reason. We, it doesn't make any other sense. Right? He wants us dependent on him. He wants us crying out to him. And so really, as I said, I want this to be an encouragement to you, but also it gives you a picture of what we're trying to do, is that we want hands lifted before the throne of God continually. And out of that place, we want to see breakthrough. And we're, and we're believing that some breakthroughs will only come when we lift hands continually before the Lord. If you know a little bit about the Amalek and the, I mean, he's like a, it's just like the thorn in Israel's side. You know what I mean? Throughout their history. And you just have to wonder, did they, I mean, they made a point to remember it, but did they forget that? Did they forget how hands were lifted before the Lord and that's why they had the victory? Did they start to trust in their own strength or their own might? Right? And, and I just want to encourage you and really remind myself at the same time that I don't believe, I just believe that some breakthroughs won't come unless we continually have our hands surrendered to the Lord. Um, amen. That's good. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's just so funny, isn't it? Like, uh, there's other stories too. Second uh, Chronicles 20, uh, Jehoshaphat, right? I mean, they have this great army coming against them. He's overwhelmed. Uh, the prophets are encouraging him, hey, the Lord's going to fight this battle for you. All you have to do is just stand and see the deliverance of the Lord. So what does he do? It's interesting because I was reading this story again last night, and I'm like, huh, it's interesting. They didn't actually instruct him in the prophecy to do this. But it, just, it was just in his heart. He just said, oh, sweet. Like, the Lord's going to fight this battle. So he, in consultation with, I guess, some of his leaders, comes up with this idea Hey, we're going to put the musicians in the front of the army. I mean, this is the most ridiculous strategy ever in military history. I mean, read military history. You will never, ever find any army, probably other than Israel, who puts the worshipers and the singers in the front. I mean, Daryl, imagine that. Like, hey, Daryl, we got this, like, crazy army coming against us. Can you get the worship team together? Because you guys are in the front. It's like, oh, I don't know about that strategy. Thank you very much. But, I mean, he, he does it. And, and it, again, the Lord doesn't do this every time. But in this particular instance, they just sing. And, and, the, and the funny thing, too, is they're not 
they're not singing warfare songs. I mean, I don't know what kind of beat they had, and maybe it was a minor key, who knows, you know, but, you know, like, they're not singing, like, oh, Lord, like, you know, and even some of the Psalms say this, so it's not wrong to pray this, but, like, Lord, arise against your enemies, you know, like, they're not even singing that. They're just singing, what are they singing? I don't have it open, but I think it's just basically the Lord's good and his love endures forever, right? Like, that's what they're singing. They're just sitting, uh, not sitting, but they're just singing about the Lord and how good he is. I just, I just have to wonder sometimes, how many battles are won? How much uh, trouble is, is uh, kept away from us? How many schemes of the evil one are thwarted without us even realizing it? Just because we gave our time to sit before the Lord or stand before the Lord or whatever before the Lord and just sing about how good he is. I mean, even this morning, right? Like how, like we don't even know what's going on. If our eyes could be open to see, and I'm sure one day we'll, we'll know it all and, you know, but, but right now our, we don't have, we don't see all that. But just by us, you know, just 20, 20, 30 minutes ago, whatever it was that we were just singing, you are good. You are good. Oh, right? Like, yeah, like, just because we sang those you are good and oh's, like, who knows what the Lord released on our behalf? Right, just right now. I mean, I, I want it to be real to you. Just literally this morning, what was released? We don't even know. You know, and that's, that's I mean, I want to know some, you know what I mean? Like, but it's, but in another sense, it's okay. Like, I don't, I don't mind because I just know that I'm ultimately surrendering my life my ministry, my success, whatever that means, to the Lord. And he's going to fight on my behalf. And it, again, it doesn't mean that, you know, we only pray and we don't do the other things. Like, like I said, I mean, Exodus 17, Joshua's still fighting the battle. I mean, he's still got to go, but not without the hands. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And then other times, you know, Second Chronicles 20, the Lord just goes out and defeats everyone. They don't have to do anything. They just got to pick up the plunder. So it's like, the results are not always the same, or the, the effects, are, the strategy is not always the same, but I think the results are the same, is that the Lord rises up and moves on our behalf. Um, yeah, so if any of you are familiar with the, uh, the, ten, the area of the world known as the 1040 window, it's just, it's just a term that uh, some leaders came up with some years back to just describe. I think it's, what are the lines that go horizontal? Longitude. No, Latitude. Latitude, longitude, whatever, you guys know. But between the 10th and the 40th, uh, in a particular section of the world, I mean, that is where the largest number of unreached uh, people groups remains. An unreached people group, just all, all it means is that there's not many Christians and there's not, in, there's not enough ministry happening currently to expect that that group will, will eventually get reached. That's basically what it means. Um, and if you look at the population of the world today, there's still about 6,700. So 6,700. There's a lot of groups, by the way, uh, but um, that, are, that still would be considered unreached. And that constitutes about 3 billion people. So it's about 40% of the world's population would right now still be considered unreached, which is so, it's kind of unfathomable to us, isn't it? Especially if you've grown up in a, a Christian, more Christianized culture. I mean, I grew up going to church my whole life from the day I was born. And so, uh, and so it's, for me, it's so hard to imagine, wait, there's people that haven't even heard about Jesus or what they've heard about him is so distorted that it cannot be considered an accurate gospel presentation. 
And so, I mean, if you, when you think of it that way, 40% of the world's population right now is in that state. And so the need is great for laborers, uh, for, for laborers to go forth. Um, but, but again, as I said, uh, one of our main priorities is contending prayer. Because there is a reason that those groups are still unreached. It's not just that they haven't heard, it's that they're actually the most resistant groups to this message. You know, in the work that we do in our city, um, you know, we, we talk to people on the streets, and, and I just remember so clearly one night, you know, our team was out, and we're just talking to people, just sharing the good news. And one of our team members was talking to a young man and just, I mean, gave the most basic gospel presentation, I mean, that you could possibly give. He's just talking, he's just saying, hey, like, did you, did you ever, have you ever heard this, that, you know, Jesus is the Son of God, and he came to this earth, he lived a sinless life, he died on the cross, and he was raised again. Uh, he's like, have you ever heard this? And this guy looks at him, he's like, no, I've never heard this before, ever. And we're in, in like a modern city that has like, you know, internet and all, you know what I mean? Like, you would think at least once you would have heard something like this. And the guy's like, no, I've never heard that, ever. And it just utterly brought that reality home to me that, wow, there really are people who just have not heard. And then there's others you'll meet who... They have heard, but what they've heard is so distorted that it cannot be, uh, like I said, it cannot be considered an accurate gospel presentation. I know it's not politically correct to say this, but the God of Islam is not the God of the Bible. And the Jesus, and Muslims believe in Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. They don't believe that he was crucified. They believe that he was replaced at the last minute. Uh, they, they don't. They don't understand like the Trinity. They don't believe that He can be God. They don't. Uh, they don't understand the the virgin birth, and so the idea that God even has a son is is blasphemous. And so it's not the Jesus of the Bible, though. Though there are some things that they believe, believe which actually are true and consistent with the Scriptures. There's a lot that's not. And so, uh, how are we going to contend with that? How are we going to see breakthrough in that? Obviously through the proclamation, but primarily our commitment is in the place of prayer. That the Lord has to break. And I think this family knows a little bit about contending with, with ideologies in the place of prayer. It's one of the things that really, the, I, I, don't, I can't say the Lord spoke it. I think that's overstating a little bit. But as soon as I arrived in our city two years ago, I mean, that was the thing that kept running through my mind. It's a statement that uh, the Lord had spoken to Lou Engel many years ago, which is this, that no one's contending with false ideologies through fasting and prayer. And I just made up in my mind at that time, I said, hey, even if I like stink at the language, even if I stink at like, you know, sharing the gospel and all this stuff, at least I can live here for two years and pray and occasionally fast. At least I can do that because many probably are not doing even that. And I don't believe like I said, we're going to see the breakthroughs unless we lift our hands continually before the Lord in the place of prayer. Um, our, our organization actually right now is, it's, has the privilege to be hosted by uh, another organization uh, in Colorado, and I won't say the name of it, uh, but they have a really cool quote that just I just absolutely love. It's one of their core... Uh, not, it's not their statement of faith, of course, but it's like a core conviction that they have. And they say this, that prayer alone will remove every obstacle 
that stands in the way of fulfilling the Great Commission. And there are a lot of obstacles. There's strongholds of belief, strongholds of thought, strongholds of the mind that are deeply entrenched in, in many, many people groups of the earth still today. And I don't see that they're going to change without, without a strong, united uh, push in the place of prayer. Um, yeah, I, I don't, how, much, how am I doing on time? I have no idea, okay? <laughs> um, so I just want to just share a couple of stories just to encourage your heart. And again, these aren't, I don't even know that these are stories that we can take credit for, but I will anyway. <laughs> but uh, yeah, because, because um, so, so one of our teams in our city, what we've done is we, uh, we actually partnered with a, a local pastor. So someone who, who's from that nation, grew up in that culture. Um, uh, and uh, he's, he's now a pastor and he has a heart for church planning. And so one of our teams partnered with him to plan a church in a very, uh, conservative and unreached part of our city. Actually, before we started, uh, we actually, there were no known churches in that part of the city. It's a really big city, so there are churches in other parts of the city, but not in this part of the city. And it's cool because the week, the same week we opened, we heard that another church opened that same week. So two churches started right at the same time in an area that previously had no known churches. So that's really cool. Anyway, uh, but Long story short, so one day we're just having one of our normal prayer meetings, and again, the church hasn't gotten like a strong vision for prayer yet, and so most of the prayer meetings, it's literally just our team, so it's like five people just praying in this, in this room in the church. Um, this guy walks in, okay, uh, sits down, closes his eyes, I mean, he's just like, he looks pretty tuned in, so we're like, oh man, it's like a... It's like a secret believer, you know what I mean? Like, it's a believer, like, this is awesome. A, a local guy, not a, not a foreigner, uh, an expat, you know? So, like, he's, he's, like, he's, like, worshiping with us. I mean, he doesn't know the songs, but he's, like, engaged. He's focusing on the Lord. So we're like, this is awesome. Well, anyway, he just kind of leaves before the prayer meeting ends, so we didn't really get a chance to talk to him. But anyway, basically comes back that weekend, talks with our pastor a bit. Basically, this is what we, we find out, okay? This guy was seeking, searching, and obviously grew, grew up in a, a Muslim culture, uh, but didn't, it didn't really like grip his heart. He didn't, wasn't really satisfied with it. So one day he's in a mosque. I'm not sure if he was just visiting or whatever he was doing, but he like goes to use the bathroom and sees like a little piece of paper crumpled up on the floor. And so he picks it up. It's, a, it's, like, it's, it's from a gospel literature group that someone else probably got and was like, this is garbage, and, you know, missed the garbage can, I guess, and, like, just threw it on the floor. Well, this guy picks it up and starts reading it. And so he requests a New Testament. Uh, basically, he reads it in, like, a really quick time. I forget how long it was, but, like, very quick time. He reads the whole thing uh, and decides to give his life to the Lord, just like that. So actually, when he came into our prayer meeting, he hadn't yet made a decision to follow the Lord. But like just one or two weeks later, he stands in front of our church on a Sunday and says, I'm following Jesus. And so I'm like, is that because we prayed? Sure, why not? I don't know. But the point is, stuff is happening, right? It's like what I just talked about. I mean, yeah, talk about not leaning on your own understanding, right? Like what does singing in a room have to uh, do with people getting, getting saved, right? If you actually like study the Tabernacle of David, it's like such a weird thing and I don't have time to do it. Uh, but like that's something that, 
that I kept thinking about a lot when I first moved overseas because I was like, what in the world does a tent with instruments and songs about the Lord have to do with Gentiles getting saved? Because that's basically what that whole prophecy encompasses. But it, it, it actually makes sense, and it works. To God, it makes sense. To our own understanding, it makes no sense. And th- this has nothing to do with that, but it does. Um, so anyway, all that to say, I don't know why he got saved. I don't care. I mean, I'm just happy that he did. But just to encourage you, like, things like that do happen over there. And I'm sure you've heard, like, those stories about, like, Muslims having dreams of the man, this man in white appearing to them. And, and, and I want to tell you, those are re- that's really happening. I always wondered, like, is that real? Is that exaggerated? We, I mean, we meet people, uh, I don't want to say all the time, but we've met enough people for me to say, okay, that stuff is real. It really happens. And yet... You know, just like Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch, like they can have, because I think sometimes the, the temptation is to say, oh man, if Jesus is like showing up to them directly in dreams, like there's no need for, for workers to go overseas because he'll take care, he's got it done. But the reality is someone still needs to explain it to him and someone still needs to then disciple them. Because a lot of times, I guess, I'm guessing Jesus does this on purpose. I don't know, because he like appears to them and it's so dramatic, but he doesn't like fully answer sometimes who he is. Sometimes he's like, go talk to this guy on this street at this time on this day, and they'll explain it to you. I mean, it's utterly unbelievable. I'm just making that point to say, yes, dramatic supernatural things happen, but it doesn't negate the need for people to go because they still need to to be taught. They still need to be discipled, and they still need someone to even explain who the man in white is. Jesus doesn't give it away all the time for some reason. I'm like, Jesus, can you just at least tell him your name? You know, uh, and sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. You know, he can do it however he wants, but, um, but it really does happen. I will say this too, though, that I have heard as many stories of that type of encounter happening as I've heard people getting saved just by reading the Bible. Somehow they got their hands on a copy of the New Testament and just read it and without any crazy, you know, supernatural type of, even though it is supernatural, but, you know, what we would think of as the more supernatural dramatic encounters, without any of that, just by reading it, they say, okay, I'm convinced Jesus is the Son of God. And, they, you know, and so, so, again, I'm just making a point that God uses all kinds of means. To, to bring men and women to himself. He does, he's using it all. And so handing out a New Testament is just as, uh, just as effective, I would say, as, as praying for signs and wonders and encounters. But we do both. We do all of it. Um, one of the cool things in our city is because there aren't many churches, and, and you know, it's not like illegal to have churches. So we're public, and we have a sign on the outside. Uh, you know, this is a church and stuff. So, but because it's so, like, not common... A lot of times people will just come and check out your building just because they've never seen one before. They're like, can I see the inside of a church? You know, and for someone who grew up Muslim, it's like the, it's like the redemptive side of rebellion. You know what I mean? Because it's like, oh, my parents always told me never to go inside a church. So they're like, can I look inside? You know, can I just see what it looks like? You know what I mean? It's so weird to them because they've never seen one before. And, and, and especially our church because a lot of churches are more like older buildings and stuff, but ours is like a modern facility. And, you know, for some people that's just like, that's unfathomable. I mean, it just makes no sense whatsoever. Um, but 
just, uh, sorry, I should wrap it up, sorry. But, um, but it's just an amazing opportunity we have. And so just to kind of give you a snapshot, and, and I'm going to, on the front end, I'll, let me be clear, this is not a typical week for us at all. Um, you know, throughout the week, we'll have different people popping in, just asking questions. And it's good and bad. You know, like sometimes people come in that are interested. Sometimes people come in who are not interested and they're not happy with what we're doing. But, um, you know, if you follow the news at all, I mean, you, you'll, you'll know that uh, international news, I should say, um, that there has been a, a good number of terrorist incidents in our city um, just in the last year. And, you know, people always ask me, like, what has that been like and, and stuff. But, um, but what I'll say is, yeah, of course, like, it's scary. And, of course, like, you know, we, we do, uh, you know, I think all the, the things you would imagine that we think and feel and process through. But I will say that I think in the midst of all of that, that it does present a very unique opportunity for the gospel to go forth. And, that's, and that really is my prayer that, Lord, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of shaking, in the midst of fear and anxiety, uh, gripping the hearts of men and women, God, would your word go forth swiftly in this hour like never before? Because there's, there's just something about crisis, right, that causes people to ask questions that they might not ask otherwise. And so there was a week where we had an incident in our city, and um, it was crazy because, like, one day the incident happened, the next day, or, the, or two days after, I think, like, 25 different people came in genuinely interested, like, asking real questions and taking a copy of the New Testament with them when they left. I mean, that, that's so rare. I mean, sometimes we'll get like one or two a day or three or four at the most, but like 25 in one day, it was crazy. And then literally the next day, four or five different people coming in at different times just yelling at us, like cursing us, like, what are you doing? You are deceiving the youth of this nation. You're corrupt, you know? And so anyway, it's just, that just gives you a little glimpse of the, the struggle that exists uh, the dynamics that are there, but what, but what the Lord is doing in the midst of all of that. And uh, so, yeah, just to encourage your hearts. And then just, sorry, one quick story at the end, because, um, you know, you guys, I mean, radical Islam is all over the news these days, right? And, and I think you guys get this, so, but I'll just say it just in case. Most Muslims are not that. I hope you know that. Most people who would call themselves Muslims, a lot of them honestly don't even don't even pray or, or do all the Muslim things. It's a cultural thing. Kind of like a lot of people in America would say, I'm a Christian, but it's like, do you love Jesus? It's like, it's not even a concept. You know, like, it's like they have a, a history with it or their family has a history with it, but it's not, it's not a personal commitment or a personal belief that they have themselves. I, I have found, and I'm not, again, I'm not an expert, but I have found in my experience, a lot of Muslims are like that. It's more of a cultural thing than it is a true belief in their hearts. And so I think you guys get that, but I just want, want that to be said because uh, it's not the majority that are these radicals. Probably like the church, you know, most of the church isn't those crazy radicals. That's kind of encouraging too. Like you don't have to have massive numbers to make a difference or to have impact, right? It's kind of scary too in the, in the, in the, in the other side of it. Like you don't need a lot of numbers to do a lot of damage, you know? Um, but, you know, radical Islam is in the news, and um, I don't know if you've ever just thought about the story of, you know, Saul of Tarsus, but, I mean, 
this guy is going around dragging Christians, putting them in prison, killing some of them, right? I mean, Stephen, the first martyr, he's right there giving approval to his death. I mean, you just think about how, how twisted that is, right? Um, and I, I want to give you faith and encourage you, too, that that still is happening today. You know, the Lord saving some of the most radical uh, people, it's not just for the, new, you know, the days of the New Testament. It's happening today. And we actually had a guy come to our church, and I think we definitely can't take credit for this one because he got saved some time back. But, I mean, back in the 90s, there was this, uh, the Bosnian War, which honestly I don't know too much about, but he was a Muslim, a radical Muslim at the time, and by his own testimony, I mean, actually killed many Christians. Um, and he was so radical that his father actually was like, son, like, you are going down the wrong path. Like, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you living this way. And he actually murdered his father because his father was opposing him. And so he actually went to prison, but in prison, he encountered the Lord and he got saved. And so he served some time. Uh, I don't know all the details. And again, I'm trying to like understand this in my medium level, you know, language. Um, and I always ask people to like, you know, clarify to me later, but, um, you know, he serves a good amount of his sentence, but for some reason he actually gets, uh, like gets the attention of the prison guards because he's, he's changed. He's actually changed so much since, since following the Lord that they can see it. Because in the past there would be, you know, there would be fights in the prison and he'd be right in the midst of it. Now he's, he doesn't fight back and he tries to like bring peace to the prison, you know, when other fights are breaking out. And so they actually see a change in him so much so that they're trying to reduce his sentence, but also they're occasionally giving him like three day, like, I don't know, parole. I don't know what you call it, but like three day, like you can leave the prison, but you got to come back, of course, but you can leave for the weekend and come back. So the first one of these that he gets, (laughs) the first one of these he gets, the first thing he does is he says, I want to get baptized. And so he just starts, you know, contacting people that he, can, that he knows and somehow gets connected with our pastors. So anyway, we had the privilege of baptizing this guy who, again, by his own testimony, killed many Christians with his own hands. And the Lord had mercy on him, saved him, and now he's serving the Lord in the prison. But I'm sure once he gets out, he'll be serving the Lord. And, and so it's just, I want to give you faith that the Lord does this, even today. So I don't know if you've ever prayed a crazy prayer. I feel like I pray this prayer all the time. But when you see the news, you see radical Islam, and you know whether it's in this country or overseas, you know I don't know what stirs in your heart. I don't know what kind of thoughts stir. Uh, here's the thing. Yeah, I mean, I know that you know, we're probably concerned for our safety. I think that's very natural. Um, I'm sure we would want you know, law enforcement to catch as many of these guys as possible and stuff. And that's all good. I'm not even saying that we shouldn't pray for that or want that. But to me, that's not the ultimate victory. If the, I mean, if, 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 if the nations of the earth go to war against ISIS and blow them up, I mean, it's great in the sense that, you know, they'll stop killing people. But what about their eternal state? You know, where will they go? And so, I don't know about you. I'm just sharing this because it's even been an evolution in my own thinking where 
it's gone from more of like a self-preservation, like, oh my gosh, am I going to be safe? Is my family going to be safe? More toward like, actually, if I die, like, I mean, it stinks, right? But like, I know where I'm going to go. If these men die, I, I know where they're going to go too, but it's, that's not where I want them to go. And so my prayers have really shifted in the sense that like, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I guess I don't honestly pray that much for safety. It's just not my first thought, honestly. For my wife, that's like her immediate first thought for sure. She's a mom, so it totally makes sense. But for me, like that's not my first thought anymore. My first thought is God, save them. Break in right now and save the most radical one, the most radical guy, the guy who's on his way. Because isn't that what happened with Paul? He was on his way to arrest some more people, right? And throw him into prison. And on the way, Jesus encounters him. So that's my prayers. On the way, God, some guy right now, some young woman, a lot of the attacks are carried out by young women in their 20s, 21, 22. You know, young people are going to change the world no matter what, right? For good or for evil, they're going to change the world. So that actually encourages me in a weird way too. I'm like, if they're willing to do that, oh my gosh, what if they got encountered by the love of Jesus, by a God who actually loves them? who actually cares about them. He doesn't just command their obedience and their blood, but he actually loves them and cares for their soul. What if they got gripped by that? How radical would they be for good, right? So that's my prayer many days is, God, just even a young man, a young woman who's on their way right now to commit an atrocious act of violence, encounter them right now. That's my prayer. And so, yeah, so I want to invite you into that too. Um, you know, the classic, it's so typical, but it's, but it's so true. It's like you hear, you know, testimonies like this. You hear a message like this. It's like, well, what can I do about it, you know? And, and again, I think it's real simple. I think all of us, you know, and especially in a family like this, we can pray, right? I want to invite you to pray for, for laborers, just as the Lord taught us, Lord, follow laborers. That prayer really works. I think I blame that. I blame Lou Engel for the reason why I'm overseas. Because me and my wife had no plans to do that whatsoever. Then everyone starts praying Igbalo, and all of a sudden stuff starts happening. And I'm like, Lord, what's what's going on? And I'm like, Igbalo. Igbalo got me, you know? <laughs> so that it's real, man. It is real. I know like we can get used to it by doing it over and over, and we're like, does this actually do anything? No, no, no. Remember the story. Remember Exodus 17, right? Like Hands are lifted up, stuff's happening, right? Second Chronicles 20, the singers go before the army, stuff starts happening. We don't even know what's going on. But when we pray for the Lord of the harvest to send laborers, he actually does it. And it might be some guy on the other side of the country or the other side of the world that we don't even know. But the, that prayer goes up and the Lord reaches his hand and says, okay, time to go. <laughs> you know, and he, he launches someone else out. I mean, I don't know how it all works, but I know it, it works. I know it's real. So pray for the Lord to send out laborers and, and pray for, for these people. Pray for your enemies. Right? That's what Jesus taught us to pray. So I have this theory, but I, it's not like explicitly stated in Scripture. But I am so positive that the early church was, was crying out for, for Paul. For before he got saved. I, I mean, Jesus taught us to pray for our enemies, right? So but just by obeying his commands, I'm positive. I don't think there's anywhere in the Bible that explicitly says it, but I am so convinced that they were crying out for him. And so that's the good news is we can do the same. We, and we might not know all their names. That's okay, but just cry out 
for the radical ones. Cry out for those who have given themselves to this. Because, again, if they turn, I think it was even prophesied like years ago in the 80s that some of the greatest apostles of the end times would come out of radical Islam. I believe that with all my heart. When you see the, you know, when you see the devotion that they have, I mean, why wouldn't they give it all for the Son of God who gave it all for them? Um, so pray, pray, and pray for, pray for your friends, anybody you know who's serving on the field, they need your prayers. I'm so thankful for the prayers that have gone up. And of course, pray for us too, please. Uh, don't forget us in that too. Uh, but yeah, I mean, pray for those guys. They need your prayers. And you really don't know what that prayer accomplishment accomplishes. You may think it's so small and so weak. That's honestly how we feel most days in our prayer rooms. These prayers are so small. They're so weak. But stuff still happens. The Lord chooses small, weak prayer to move, to move his heart and to move nations. And so pray. Obviously, you can give. And I know this church does give. And so I won't belabor that point. But, and I'm not saying that just so you'll give to me. I mean, I want you to give to other people who are overseas. I want you to invest your money. Um, if I had time, I mean, we could throw out so many statistics. But so little of the Western church's money is given toward uh, toward overseas work. And then even out of that money that's actually given, a fraction, I mean like probably 1% or less, goes to reaching the unreached. So most of the money is given to places where there is already a church presence. And I'm not against that. I'm not saying that's wrong. But I hope that we can just bring up the other side of the equation. I'm not even saying bring, the, bring this side down, but I'm saying hopefully we can bring the other side up a little bit. Send more money in that direction, you know? Uh, and then the last thing is, you know, I think there are some of you who have a heart to go yourselves. You feel called, or maybe you don't even feel called. You don't have to feel called. It's not about a feeling, uh, but you can go as well. And so those are just three simple ways that we can all participate in, in the work of what the Lord is doing in the nations of the earth. And so, yeah, thank you guys so much. I'll, I'll hand it back to you guys. But, um, yeah, and, and if you want to just, like, meet us after the service, we'll be hanging around in the back. And if you want to get, like, our updates and stuff, like, come and say hi to us and give us your email, and we'll, we'll set that all up. So thank you guys so much.